Welcome to the Breath Pack Podcast with your host, Rachel Pitts, where high performers hang out to discover ways to optimize their human experience. Mona Bittar is an entrepreneur and high-performance whole-person health coach and global educator with over two decades of experience representing international health and fitness brands. Mona works with her clients using a whole-person health approach that moves through the four pillars of health, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, to reconnect people back to themselves and their bodies to forge their own path in reclaiming health. Mona is also a master trainer with Breathmasters, world leaders in transformational breathwork certifications and education. Welcome, Mona, and thanks so much for being here. It's so good to see you and speak to you in person. Good to see you. Your last name is pronounced Bitar, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I didn't want to slaughter it because that's the worst. Someone's name is the most beautiful sound they can possibly hear. Oh, I'm okay with it. It's all good. It's like I have this this dilemma living here in this part of the world because my name, Mona, is spelled with an O. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves because in Arabic, there's Mona, but in in the Arab world, it's M-U-N-A. So it's Muna. So when people call my name in Arabic, it's that. So when they spell my name with a U, it does my head in. Because it's Mona. And my mom and dad actually had an argument over the spelling of my name when I was born. Really? My dad, yeah, my dad wanted it to be with a U, so it was more Arab. My mom was like, no, I want it as Mona, because I was born in Mississippi. I was going to ask you that, um, because it's obvious that you are not from where you are now, and you live in Qatar Jordan. right now? Jordan. Jordan. Okay. So interestingly enough, I mean, why don't you start by telling us how you got over there? Oh, wow. That's a very interesting story. So my parents are originally both from Palestine, across the border. And with the political situation and stuff across, years ago, they moved over to Jordan. So a lot of Palestinians actually migrated over to Jordan. And so my grandparents basically moved here. My dad's actually half breed. He's half Italian. And so so my family's, like my family's lineage left Jerusalem years and years ago, moved to Jordan. And then we kind of left Jordan altogether. I mean, I didn't grow up here uh, for a start. I was born, like I said, I was born in Mississippi, Biloxi, Mississippi on an Air Force base, actually. So the way I ended up in Jordan was back in, so back in 1999, my parents split up and we ended up moving here. And so I finished the last couple of years of high school in Jordan. And then I left. I went to Ohio for school, Toledo, Ohio. And then I came back to Jordan. And then we left Jordan, went over to to the UAE. So I was living in Dubai for, for quite a while. And as the adventure of life takes you all over the place, I left Dubai. I moved over to Beirut. So I lived in Lebanon for some time. I lived in Qatar for some time. And I did some traveling across the Middle East region, teaching fitness certification courses and educational certification courses, stuff like that. And then I met my, who's now my ex-partner in Jordan when I was kind of in in a transitional phase. And so I left Jordan with potentially this job that I was, that I signed up for in India. 
and I injured my back really badly in that transition phase. So I was off my legs for an entire year, unable to walk. And so obviously with my recovery took about a year. And so during that time, obviously my contract in India fell through. I ended up getting stuck in Dubai, recovering. I was on my mom's floor for a few months because I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't do anything. And so when I, when I started to move again and I started to be able to walk and train and, and, and do all of these things, I was like, all right, what am I going to do now? And so I ended up moving myself to Jordan. And that's kind of where my, rela- my relationship took off. And so that's ultimately why I moved to Jordan about 12 years ago. And wow. now I'm ready. And now I'm ready for an exit. <laughs> uh, and the next chapter begins. So that moment when you were unable to walk and move, uh, do you mind talking about that for a second? Because I think that's something that people, when someone has a surgery or an injury or they have a moment in life where they're just, I mean, I know the reason that you and I, Mona, we speak the same language. We're movers. We like to move and Having movement taken away is a hard thing. I've been there for a while too, but can you talk about how you got through that part? Oh, of course. So funny thing is like, as, as all things in life, when I injured my spine, most people think I injured my spine in training, working out, but that's not the case actually. Bizarre, isn't it? So, cause I ultimately, I train to, to get stronger, to live longer, to be able to move for as long as I possibly can. But actually when I injured my back, it was, I, we had the year that I injured my back, we had really heavy snow in Jordan and the city, well, the country was shut down for about five days because we were snowed in and I was walking out of my apartment and outside of my apartment, inside of my building, the flooring, the tiles were marble. So they were really slick. So I couldn't see the ice on them. And so I slid and I took an entire flight of stairs on my spine from top to bottom. And so, so that, that left me with like five disc herniations, two disc bulges, a couple of them pressing on some nerves, which is why I couldn't really, I mean, I could feel my legs, but it's like every time I came to stand up, my knees would buckle and I dropped to the ground. And so, so I went from doctor to doctor trying to find basically a solution. As it is with Western medicine, it's like, the quickest solution is let's cut your spine open and fix it. I'm like, no, no. So, <laughs> so I was, so I hobbled from one practitioner to the next, looking for somebody for at least one person that could offer me an alternative option. And then I could make a decision. So, so I saw some surgeons were like, well, surgically cut your spine open. I'm like, no, nobody's cutting my spine open. And then some doctors, I literally went to about seven doctors and a few of them wanted to go in and kind of clean up my discs and stuff, like like the disc bulges and stuff with laser. Uh, nobody's going into my spine. Can somebody please give me an alternative? And so I ended up finding this one doctor who's really old school in his techniques, but, you know, amazing bedside manners, uh, really takes the time to explain things. He's actually a spinal neurosurgeon. And so I said, doc, look, I've been to all these doctors. Everybody keeps giving me surgery as options. I refuse to let anybody touch my spine and break a vase. It's never going to, you just glue it back together. It's not going to go back the same way. And the recovery time is pretty much going to be the same, whether I go the old school way of like 
a tradition like tradition, and I'll talk about that in a second, traditional like old school mechanisms of healing, or I go down a fast route of surgery and then have to recover after the surgery, right? So time is going to be pretty much the same. So he was like, yeah, sure. I will admit you into my hospital for a week to 10 days. I said, okay, what's the procedure? And he said, I will basically put you on a traction device. And so I'm like, okay, I like the sound of this. I like where this is going. So he takes me into this room and he shows me this traction device. And it literally looked like a, like a sadistic um, medieval. <laughs> oh, like, you know, like, oh, Jimmy, what did I sign up for? And so... So he's like, so basically we'll put you in this bed. We'll attach these straps to your pelvis. We'll elevate your legs and we'll have weights hanging off the end of the bed. And we'll do this in three hour intervals for about a week and see where you're at in a week. And every day we'll just increase the weights. And it was just basically day after day, they would increase the weights. And for nine hours a day, I was connected to this traction device and by day number five, I was able to stand on my feet and start shuffling my feet across the ground because it basically decompressed my spine and released the nerves that were trapped. And so that was my way back. So in that process, the thing that I want to highlight here is that as I went from doctor to doctor, I could, I, I caught myself getting into the stories of why me and like poor me and like this victim mentality. And I'm never going to be able to train again because that's what doctors said to me. Of they course, said, they always you know, say that. Yeah, you will never train again. You know, you you need, you should start, you should start looking for a new career. And I said, hang on. And so there's one doctor I said to him, I said, with all due respect, and I, I, I have mean no offense to anybody here, but I said, doc, have you taken a look at yourself in the mirror lately? And he had this ashtray on his desk, right? Yeah, he was a smoker. And, and I said, you don't get to tell me when I can see that your health isn't optimal. You don't get to tell me what I should do, what I can and can't do. Your job is to give me solutions for the problem that I have, that I've come to you with, and then I will deal with the rest later. I'm the person that lives inside of my body. Right? And so when I found this doctor who put me on the traction device, that was awesome because in that entire process, and mind you, this was like about 13 years ago, right? So I was, so 13 years ago, like I was still in my like late 20s and I'm like, my career's over. Why me? Poor me. My life is over. And I kind of started to spiral down that rabbit hole. And then there was this moment where I'm like, I got to take charge here. Like I need to get into the driver's seat of what's happening with me because I get to call the shots. This is my body. This is my life. And I, I've got one or two choices. I can succumb to the fact that all these doctors are saying, you'll never lift weights again. You'll never train again. You'll either be able to walk and swim. Or I can step into my power and own it and own my stories and decide that I was going to heal. Yes. I fucking love you, Mona for all that you are. And I love you even more for that because that is so true. And use that, everybody that's listening, you will be told by doctors, I've been there. I've guided other people out of it when doctors tell them they'll never, you'll never do this again. You'll never do that again. And it's a story. I don't even know why they tell that kind of story because always one should seek hope and always one should seek solutions rather than focusing on the problem. 
Well, the thing is, right, it's like, it's like with, with, like when we talk about health, right, most people will gravitate towards the healthcare system that we know, which is the medical care system, which is actually sick care, not healthcare, right? People go to the medical system because they're already sick. The healthcare system is what we do. We're in the healthcare business where we're preventative, where we're teaching people tools and skills, life skills and life hacks and teaching tools and skills that will help people actually take their own health into their own hands. You know what I mean? And so, but the thing about Western medicine and it's got its place. Like if I, if I broke a limb tomorrow, I need a doctor to freaking put my limbs back together. Right. <laughs> so, so it's needed. There's this, there's a place for everything, but the thing that in the known or the generically known healthcare system, the Western medicine system is even doctors like don't really, are not really educated on things like nutrition. There's no like personal development on things like mindset, um, our inner stories and inner language. And so the bedside manner is literally like you go to a doctor and it's like, where does it hurt? This is the solution, right? It's everything external. But the truth is there's our external reality that we live in. And then there's our internal world. And that's where, that's our pharmacy. Our healthcare system is internal. It's inside of us. Like each one of us is, has everything that we need innately built into our system and into our bodies. All we got to do is turn inwards and listen to those, listen to that voice from the inside that's saying, I got you or try to put us down. And only when we tune into those voices, are we able to actually take control and determine or, I, or separate fact from fiction. Mm-hmm. truth from what is imagined because we have our imagined reality and then we have what's actually accurate the things that actually exist there's us and then there's all the other voices of us you know it's mm-hmm. like which voice is the voice of truth and it's the one that really resonates and vibrates and it's not the one that's loudest it's usually one that the one that's quiet and we think about this right it's like how often do we refer to my gut feeling tells me this my instincts right we refer to our gut more than anything there's no wonder our immune system lives in our gut 80 percent of our immune system lives in our gut all of our answers are inside of our body yeah and also to be careful to be confused by so many messages coming from the media and social media and you should do this and you should do that. And oh, if you're not like this, then something's wrong with you and you need this pill and you need that tool. And yeah, and it's a very, it, it's such a good point that you make, Mona, to really take time to go inwards and listen because we know what, we always really know, like there's been situations I'm sure that everybody that's listening has been in and they're like, damn, I sort of knew that from the beginning. And you go down this long journey of like trying to find somebody to confirm what you already knew deep inside. Totally. Right. And it's like, it's like, it's like, I talk about this and I teach this a lot, like take the virtue of honesty. And I was just talking about this yesterday and the day before, like when we think of the virtue of honesty, we normally think of honesty as us being honest with somebody else. But how often are we actually honest with ourselves? I know a lot of people that even in their, even in the privacy of being on their own where nobody is watching, 
where they're on their own with the privacy of their innermost deep thoughts and their journaling, even in people's private journaling practices, they are backspace, delete, edit. We write our journals as if we're writing them for somebody else to read. So even when we're with our own thoughts, we are editing, cutting out, deleting things and censoring things. But it's only when we actually turn into the, the voice of our inner truth and we actually allow ourselves to be radically honest with ourselves, to allow those thoughts and feelings that are running through us to actually come out and write them out on paper exactly as they are with no editing. That's when we get to know who we are. And I think that people find that terrifying for some reason. I know that, I mean, I've been on a sobriety journey for about 11 years and part of becoming sober is meeting yourself honestly where you're at and who you really are and embracing the dark side as well as the bright side. And I think people, do you, would you agree that people are sort of afraid to get honest because they're afraid of going inward, which is the safest place to go, but it seems like people resist that so much. 100%, right? Where most of, like a lot of people are driven by fear, making decisions based off of fear, the worst case scenarios. Like when you're faced with a decision to make, first thing we play out is, What's the worst case scenario? But that's 50%. That's a 50% probability, right? But what if it turned out to be the best case scenario? What if, right? And so, yeah, I mean, when being honest with ourselves, most people, it's, we're we're just trying to push things down. We're trying to, and the thing is like our limbic brain is wired to protect us, right? Our ego is wired to protect us. It's, our ego is not a bad thing. It's got a function. It's got a voice for a reason. There are some things where we need to go, okay, yeah, maybe I should be fearful of this. Maybe this is going to risk my life. You know what I mean? But in large scale, it's like even the day-to-day stuff, we are, we're so trapped in questioning and self-doubt and doubting and the conspiracy theories and all of that. And that's what our ego is, is, is designed to do. Our brain is designed and wired to keep us safe. And so any experience that we are faced with in the present moment, if we've had something that's remotely similar to it in the past, our brain is going to go, oh, we've been here before. This is unsafe. Time to react. And we automatically go into that fight or flight. And so number one, we're never really in the present moment. We're either living in the past or we're right about the future. And so that's where anxiety is, right? It's anxiety is living in the past and fear is living in the future. Mm. Yeah, right here, right now. It's, yeah, people, I do it too. Even though I coach people to stay in the moment, I do it too. Like you said, Mona, it's part of human nature. It's the way that our ancient prehistoric brain has developed our nervous system over hundreds of millions of years that you can't help it, but fall into that. But it's just a good to have an awareness to always bring yourself back to the present moment, which transitions us to the breath. So let's, I want to just touch briefly upon one reason that I just gravitate so much towards Mona is I know that Mona, you have a history in the fitness industry. So if you want to briefly touch on that and how did you transition? And I know you're still teaching fitness, but how did you ultimately find breath work and begin to implement that into the way that you help people? 
I love that question, Rachel. Thank you. So, so I, I got into the health and fitness industry about 23 years ago. And basically the industry kind of fell in my lap in a sense. So it found me as opposed to I found it. It was a passion of my, well, fitness for me as a kid or sports in general, as a kid started off for me in school. I had a, I had a pretty rough childhood coming from a dysfunctional uh, family home. And so in school, I w- and I didn't have any friends because as I was growing up, I was also battling with my sexual identity and like a whole host of things. And when living in this part of the world, which adds just that extra layer of, of challenges to it. And so there were so many layers to me wanting to avoid obviously feeling pain. And so, and because I was, because there was so much going on in my life at the time, I didn't really have friends in school. And so I gravitated towards, and because I was the awkward kid, the different kid, because I didn't really, I was, like I said, I was battling with my own sexual identity. And so I dressed differently. I looked differently and I showed up differently. And I was in a private school. And the truth is kids can be harsh sometimes. And so what I did was in school, I started to join as many sports teams as I could so that I, I would avoid being around other students on recess times or after school, I would do after school sport activities so that I wouldn't have to go home to the fire of the dysfunctionality of household. And, and so I, I would sign up to as many sports teams as I could just to keep myself away from people, away from home for as long as possible. And so that's kind of where sport started for me. And then I went off to school, got back, came back to Jordan. And so when I was in school and university in Ohio, I actually did graduate. So I was doing a double major in sports medicine and athletic training, but I couldn't pay for it anymore. And I was in a, I was working three jobs and I was in a deep, dark, place of depression. And I was pretty ready to take my own life at that time. And I didn't want to be a failure in front of my family. And so that was kind of one of the biggest turning points in my life where I rang my mom up from university and I said, and my relationship with her was really rocky because I had just come out to her right before I went off to university. So, so our relationship is really rough. And, but then I rang her up and I said, Maron, I am depressed. I am, I'm basically skin and bone at this point. And I need you to be my mom right now. I need you to tell me it's okay to fail. I need you to tell me that it's okay to drop out and come back. And she said, pack your bags and come home. I needed somebody to, to make it okay for me because I was so harsh on myself because I've been a soldier my whole life. And so I packed my bags and I literally just disappeared. Didn't even transfer any credits, never went to university to officially drop out. Or, I just disappeared. And, and I flew back to Jordan. And, and so what was it? A passion and a need of mine, the sport and fitness and movement ended up becoming my career. So I came back to Jordan and I joined a local gym here 
And I started going in and participating in spin classes and just kind of weight training in the gym and stuff like that. And I used to, I love music. Like music for me is like my religion. And we speak the same language on so many levels, Rachel. And so, and back in the day, back in the early 2000s, we had the like Nero CD burning apps, uh, not apps even, they were software and stuff like that. And so what I would do is I'd burn all of these CDs. I would mix music for the uh, spin instructor that I used to go to classes with. And I'd just give her, just make music for her. And then one day she was like, you're really good at this. Like, and would you be interested in like starting off by just covering some classes for me when I need you to? And I said, yes. And so, so I started to just kind of fill in for classes. And I did my first personal training certification. And that's kind of where my career in fitness took off. So I was about 18 years old when I started, 17, 18 years old. And, and so that's kind of where I started off in the fitness industry, long story short. And then in a few years later, with all of the, with all of the stress and all of the emotional turmoil, the dysfunctionality and it's my experiences with things, things like sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and things like that. Eventually in 2000, that caught up with me on a physical level. So I actually got physically sick. So in 2005, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And then in 2000, uh, 2005, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And then in 2006, I was diagnosed with um, Epstein-Barr virus. So two autoimmune diseases. You want to hear and something so, crazy? Yeah. Hear something I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 2012. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we have so many parallels. It just, it's so insane. But anyways, continue. <laughs> so I was, I was diagnosed with those two autoimmune diseases and I was obviously, I was heavy, heavily medicated as you do. So I was on like a shit ton of medication. I was on corticosteroids. Uh, to control the inflammation. So there was days where I literally could not get out of bed. And here I was, an advocate for health and fitness, right? And so I took it upon myself to take control of my own health. And that was kind of the starting point of my journey into studying and learning about nutrition, gut health, hormones, and I just went down that deep dive of studies basically to take care of myself. So I made myself my own guinea pig for two years from that point in time. And so for two years, I took it upon myself to basically keep a journal of every single day I woke up, how I was feeling when I woke up, and then how I was feeling before I ate, and then how I felt what I ate, and how I felt after I ate certain foods. And then two hours later, how I was feeling. And so for two years, it was this experimentation with just eliminating things and doing more things that made me feel good. And I started my journey with therapy and energy healing. So I was seeing a whole team of people, not just the therapists, right? And so that's kind of where I started understanding that there was more to healing than medicine. And so that was where my spiritual healing, my energetic healing started with my spiritual mentor who passed away last year. And so I was seeing a whole team of people from a pranic healer uh, to a kinesiologist 
to, to there's another breathwork officer, there's another practitioner at the center. And then my therapist, the mentor who passed away, she was also a hypnotherapist and a spiritual mentor and healer. And so that was, that started off my journey down that path. Plus I started to educate myself, started to take on courses to educate myself on things like gut health and the immune system and things like that. And I basically went cold turkey with my medication. I just dumped all my meds in the bin one day. I woke up one day and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I was about 24, maybe 25. And I'm like, I can't do this. Like there were days where I literally could not stand on my feet because my joints just physically hurt and I couldn't show up for my clients. And so I just, I was like, fuck this. I threw all my meds in the bin. And it was that journey of two years of just experimenting with myself until I felt like I eliminated everything food-wise. I eliminated everything that made me feel like crap, right? And then I started to introduce more things that made me feel good. And so this was from, so this is from about, I'd say 2007 to about 2009 was that journey. And then in 2010, I got really sick again. And I thought it was a flare up of Crohn's. So I was, I had everything, every symptom under the sun that says this is a flare up. I had the diarrhea, the vomiting, the fever, the joint aches. I was dropping, I was losing weight like insanely. And this is the thing people would say, oh my God, you look so good. You're losing Uh, weight, right? (laughs) And I want to highlight that because it's so important because when we pay people compliments like that, they're not always a compliment, right? We never know what's going on with somebody. And this is just a great platform to be able to highlight all of these things. Thank you, Rachel. And so I was losing weight and I, I got really sick and I was hospitalized again. But here's the thing about that hospitalization. So I had every single symptom you could imagine. Like it was the big, like it was even bigger than my first flare up, which led me to the diagnosis, Mm -hmm. right? So I went into the colonoscopy. I had that colonoscopy that year. I was in hospital for two weeks on IV fluids because I couldn't keep anything down and stuff like that. And I had given the the gastroenterologist all of my results from my initial diagnosis, the video from my initial colonoscopy, where my initial diagnosis was like 90% of my large intestine was inflamed, ruptured, and ulcerated. And the doctor back then said, if you don't take these medications, if you don't take the corticosteroids, we're going to have to start cutting pieces out of your colon. And I'm in my 20s, like, I don't want a bag hanging out the side of my body. Not that anybody wants that, regardless of how, how young or old we are. But just that image, that thought was like, I would rather, I would rather not be on this planet. And anyway, so I gave him the diagnosis. I gave him the video. I went into the colonoscopy. I came out. And so in that time frame, I had already started my healing journey on different levels, like the breath work, the energy healing, the therapy, the hypnotherapy, and all of that stops. So the doctor comes to see me and he goes, Mona, are you sure you gave me your results in your video? I said, they've got my name on them. I don't have any extra ones laying around. (laughs) I'm like, why doc? What's the damage? And he goes, your colon is clean. There's nothing in there that I could see. So it's almost like that sickness was kind of like my body purging 
That's the only explanation that I can give to it was my body just had this massive purge from all of the healing that I had been doing for the, for the couple of years that I'd started in. And I was just purging all of this stuff. And that's why I got so sick because medically there was nothing in my results that was saying there was anything quote unquote wrong with me. Even Crohn's was non-detectable. My colon was clean. The inflammation was gone. And he was like, whatever you're doing, just keep on doing it. Interesting. I've read, I've been reading just endless amounts of books about some of the subject matter that we've learned in the Breath Masters Academy. And I, Crohn's keeps coming up and being linked to past trauma and et cetera. And so it's really got me thinking, especially in listening to you talking about kind of a rocky upstart in your youth that there's just so much possibility that a lot of the things that we're diagnosed with by Western medicine has a bigger, there's a larger answer like you have found with all these different modalities of energy healing and everything. And I know you, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's just, it's something to consider for anybody listening that there's always a greater answer to what's going on inside the body and you just have to tune in and seek answers. And you don't always have to take the word of the doctor because there's a lot of parallels again of what you're saying, Mona, about the journey with Crohn's. My very first doctor that diagnosed me, I remember coming in and I started doing exactly what you were talking about. I was looking at different things about what I'm eating, how it's affecting what's going on. And he's like, oh, it's baloney. There's nothing. It just has nothing to do with what you eat. And I'm like, it's a gastrointestinal condition. Like, of course, what I eat is going to have an effect. So I got me a new doctor who is totally on, he's cool and totally on board with my different ways that I keep myself healthy. I do keep a doctor in terms of my condition at this point. And there's always different methods. There's these ancient methods. There's these energy type of methods that can give you different types of results as you're seeing, Mona. So please continue. And so, yeah, so that continued my journey there. And so he's like, whatever you're doing, keep your ring. He said, what medications are you on right now? I said, nothing. And his jaw literally just dropped because I have been medication free. I've been living medication free since 2007. And, and I am healthier, stronger, fitter than I, and I'm now in my forties and I'm fitter, stronger and healthier than I've ever been. And so breath work came in. So I started to, so my first exposure to breath work, to like down regulation breath work was in one of my nutrition courses. And part of the course was Dr. Andrew Wild, who is the 478 guy that created the 478 breaths, the four inhale, seven second pause, eight second exhale. So that was my first exposure to breath. This was around... I think it was around 2008, maybe. Yeah. So that was kind of my first exposure to breath in parallel with all the work that I was doing with God Rest of Soul, Suzanne and all of her team, where they would go, all right, breathe deeply, especially when I was going through hypnosis and things like that. There was a lot of breath incorporated. I was like, this is actually, because I was very, I was a very angry teenager. I had a lot of anger and rage that I had to work through. And so the first thing that I, the first thing that would happen when I would go into a session where I'd be fluctuating at this frequency where I was like, my entire body was literally shaking and tremoring from anger and rage. 
was first thing I would do is see the product healer downregulate, bring my nervous system down so that I could actually sit with Suzanne and start going into hypnotherapy and then talking and being able to actually say things that made sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. And be able to see a larger picture than the image of like just the anger and like the reactivity and stuff like that. So that was kind of my first exposures to breath work. And so I started to just use breath work for myself around meals. So if I found myself in, in the fitness industry, we're not always necessarily the healthiest with our habits, right? We're always running around, especially in the early days where, where you're just trying to build your database of clients. You're trying to attract more clients. You're thinking dollar per hour, the more clients I attract, the more money I'm going to make. And I was working as a freelancer. And so it was like, so you end up forgetting about yourself in that process, right? And grabbing things on the go, protein bars here, protein shakes on the go and stuff like that. And not really genuinely taking care of yourself. Like even when it comes to training yourself, it's like you're so exhausted and all your body wants to do is sleep. But instead you're in the gym pushing yourself because you got to walk the talk, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I started to incorporate breath work into my day when I'd find myself stuck in traffic or having a stressful day or right around my meals. Like when I actually sit down to a meal and just be like, all right, take a, take, take a beat, take a few breaths. Um, and then fast forward to a few years ago, I was on a personal development and leadership uh, program. And there was a lot of breath work into that along with story work. And then I dove into a language training course in NLP. So, so I'm a level three certified language practitioner. So it's language in terms of like our inner narratives, our inner stories. So story work and then breath combined. And then I got into a little bit of Wim Hof breathing and then COVID hit and breath work just exploded, right? With everybody starting to talk about the immune system and everybody started to talk about mental health and not that it wasn't around before, but it was like the highlight. And so I did my, so I, I actually jumped on a breath work practitioner facilitator course, which was mainly performance breathing. So it was like apnea training, performance breathing for high-level athletes, performance athletes on game day, post-game day, and things like that. And so because some of the clients that I was working with were MMA cage fighters and stuff like high-level like UFC and MMA fighters and stuff like that. And so I used breath work with them to, to, get them re- to get them ready, to get them focused for training, to downregulate them after, to regulate the nervous system in, inside of training, and then at fights as well. So when I be like, when I got to be corner man with their coaches and stuff like that. So that was my first official training in breath work. It was more on the performance side of things. So a lot of physiology of breathing, the nervous system, and the polyvagal theory and all that stuff. And then my stumble into Breathmasters was, so like my, my, my life has kind of been as life is a roller coaster stop and go, right? Um, so just over a year ago, Suzanne, my spiritual mentor, passed away. And I went into a deep depression. I basically could not see a reason to live anymore. And I started to slip into habits, behaviors that I didn't want to be in, that I worked so hard to get away from. And so I was in a really dark place. And then I had this 
and, and I, I kept seeing the advertisements for Breathmasters pop up. And at first I was really skeptical and I'm like, yeah, no, because I was, I was on, a, I was in a very different space. Like I was just, I was grieving heavily. I was not in a good place. Things weren't great in my relationship and everything. And business was a bit of a struggle for, like my business was struggling a little bit. And, and this was like, I was still in the process of actually closing down my business, which was the brick and mortar gym that I owned here in Jordan. So there's a lot of money, just there's a lot of financial losses. Um, and so I just, I was just not in a good place. And I was just like, I really don't want to, I didn't want to, it's not like I wanted to kill myself, but I just did not want to be here. I don't want to be on this earth anymore. Like if something had happened, it just, like, it just came from some divine intervention. And so I just, I was not in a good place. And then I had this moment where you have these like moments of epiphanies, downloads, call them what you like. But I just knew that Suzanne was present. She was so omnipresent on a day and she guided me to find, to actually going, there's breath, like, first of all, cleaning up my shit and getting my act together <laughs> and just being like, all right, this is it. I am at, I'm at my point of enough. Like there is no deeper I can go down this hole. Like the mm -hmm. next thing to do is to take my own life. That's the next step. And so I was at that crossroad. And so I chose to take control and clean up my life. And so I jumped on line. I search, I actually searched for the Breathmasters ad, clicked on, got on my sales call with, I was Philip, the guy that I spoke to, and he shared with me the, the letting go 9D journey. And I did that journey and the experience that I had in that, because up until that point, Suzanne had passed away. I was feeling, I was so alone. Everything in my life was just dark, right? And I could not, I would close my eyes and I would hope that I could see Suzanne's face. I called upon her and like, I'm looking for clarity. I'm asking the for some divine interference on some, I'm asking for guidance and I just could not see her anymore. And so I got into that journey with an open mind, open heart, and I dove into that journey and it was the most powerful experience for me on a physical, mental, emotional level where, I mean, for an onlooker, it literally looked like I was undergoing an exorcism. Like my body was in tremors. It was in convulsions. My body was contorting and doing all these, all this weird shit. And I was just, and I, and up until that moment, I had not been able to cry for about 10 years. Like my grandma oh, passed wow. away in 2017. My aunt passed away in 2020 and I could not shed a single tear. And the floodgates came opening and my body just purged. And it was like, I had so many, like so many visions inside of that journey. And then it's like a whole, it's kind of like being on a plant medicine journey. Like I saw all these colors and I saw all of this stuff. And then I started to see like towards the end of that breathwork journey, it was like, I was going through this tunnel of like colors and it was like this orange, like dark orange, lighter orange, lighter. And then it turned to yellow and then it turned brighter and brighter. And then there was this bright white light that came at my face. 
And then the next thing I saw was Suzanne's face right up her nose, touching my nose. And I finally saw her and I got the message that this was what I was meant to do. And I joined Breathmasters. And so that was my journey into Breathmasters. Boom. So awesome. And it's so, you described it really well because I find that the transformational breathwork journeys are sometimes the experience is impossible to describe because it's so powerful and just there's so much going on. That was a good, that was a good explanation. And it can be a very powerful experience for some people. And obviously it was for you. And thank God it was because Mona is one of the leaders in Breath Masters, one of the senior coaches and absolutely just so knowledgeable in all the aspects of the work and just such a wonderful guide. And so now you are, tell me about the journey of becoming one of the senior coaches and what that looked like the training, because I've been through the training and I know how powerful the training is from Brian and AJ and the team at Breathmasters. But tell me about your journey through that and where you are now. And also I know where you've mentioned where you're headed with it. So my journey, so I came into, so my awakening, my reawakening last year and, and getting into Breathmasters, I, I, I cleaned my life up. I got into it with a, like with this clear vision and path of where I was going. And I started with the 10 week program and in week number three, which is the script writing week. And I'm a, I'm not a professional writer, but I consider myself a writer because I write a lot and it's, it, I will give myself credit for my writing because it's something that I'm very proud of. My, my expression in life is through my writing. Like I can't draw to save my life. I can't color inside the lights to save my life, but I paint with my words. And it's you certainly do. <laughs> and that's a gift that I've had since I was, although funny story, it's to side, sidestep for a second. When I was in school, and we had to write essays in school. I would always fail my essays because we would be given a subject to write on and my brain would just go down this like space and I would just create and write and I would go over the word limit. And, but that's, it's, it's been a gift that I've had. And the question is, did I really fail? No, but I failed according to the system, right? Yeah, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. But anyway, <laughs> you truly are a gifted writer. I read if you, and I'm sure Mona will tell us how you can find her later at the end of this podcast, but following Mona and reading the words that she composes, is really, it's quite a special experience. Thank you, Rachel. So, so week number three, I saw this vision of what I could actually do with Breathmasters and what I could offer Breathmasters in terms of like collaborating. And I saw a vision and I reached out to Brian in week number three. And I basically sent to Brian in a message. I actually sent him, I, I friended him on Facebook. He didn't see my friend request because I was trying to tag him on something. So I sent him a private message and I said, Hey, Brian, this is Mona. I'm in this current cohort. I'm trying to friend you. Please accept my friendship because I'm trying to tag you on something. <laughs> and so then in week number three, I sent him a private message on Facebook Messenger. And I said, Brian, I know these are early days. I don't know what it looks like, but I want to be a part of the Breathmasters team. I don't know what it looks like just yet. I know that it's early days, 
but it is going to happen. And I'm going to come to you with proposition on some level. I said, we can talk again at the end of the cold war. And boom, he responded and he goes, just enjoy the journey and let's see where the journey takes you and let's chat. So at the end of the cohort, I got in touch with him again and I said, I finished my certification because I was adamant to go through the 10 weeks and be done with my certification requirements by the end of the 10 weeks. And so I got in touch with him again and I said, I have finished my certification and I have created my very first journey from scratch. And it's my journey of uh, reconnecting with the inner child. And that was the very first journey I created and crafted. And it was a tribute to Suzanne for all of the work that she'd done with me over the years. And I guided that journey a few times. And, and I said, and so Brian and I spoke and I said, I would really like, I, I would really like for you to experience this journey and stuff like that. And so I got to guide my journey inside of Breathmasters inside of the platform. I guided it already about four times to my local community and clients and stuff like that. It was so fucking powerful. And so I guided it inside of Breathmasters. And then I had already kind of put together this proposition of where I saw the vision of where I saw the vision of Breathmasters and me collaborating with Breathmasters could go. And so I asked for a meeting and I basically presented this proposition and they couldn't say no to me. And so I joined the team as their master trainer. And so now I'm working alongside Brian and AJ and Gary and Joe and the team in developing the a curriculum, an educational curriculum that's going to stair-step students through basically going through a step-by-step process and going through being students on the 10-week program. But then ultimately, if teaching Breathmasters Breathwork certification courses is where they want to go, then that's the curriculum that I'm co-creating with and for Breathmasters now. So that's how my role came about. And this comes from a lot of my background in the fitness industry of having been, having worked, worked for a global fitness company as an educator, as a master trainer, teaching certification courses, training trainers, and basically co-managing a team of trainers, planning schedules and calendars across the globe and stuff like that. So I'm like, this is my background. This is what I've done. And this is what I can, this is what I can do for, and this is where I, what I see where we can go with Breathmasters on the education side of things. And it was like, I'm just going to take the risk. And what's the worst that can happen? They're going to say, no, they're going to turn me down, right? That's the worst that's going to happen gonna happen but five Mona from five years ago would I or seven years ago would have never had the guts to be like I'm gonna be a part of your team basically you're not gonna be able to refuse me I love it I love it so much and I think that finding that really listening to the inner self and finding that true voice that you were talking about at the very beginning of this podcast we all know our strengths deep down. And sometimes we deny what our strengths really are, or we don't really believe what our strengths are. We're told that they're not our strengths. Like a teacher telling you that you're not a good writer is just hilarious to me. That said, I'm pretty sure Einstein's teachers told his mother that he was not worth a damn. So there's that. <laughs> it's just knowing what you really 
that thing that you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh my God, I just love this and I can't wait. And the money part is not even a significant reason why you're chasing what you're chasing because you just know there's such a higher purpose. And and that discovery happened, sounds like happened to you through your self-exploration with breathwork, which is one of the reasons that these modalities are so powerful. I mean, I think you also were ready to be tuned in from all the other energy work and healing that you did with Suzanne and your other healers. It's just when you have that powerful vision it's just undeniable. And you're like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to go after. And this is how I'm going to do it. Right. And, but it's also being aware and always keeping a curious mind and, and enjoying the journey and the process. And it's just something that I always talk about with all the people that I get to work with. It's like people get so fixated on the outcome that they forget that the results are actually in the journey itself. It's not about the end point. It's not about the destination. It's about actually, it's great to have an objective and an outcome because that's what drives us forward. But actually enjoying the process as you go through it and learning along the way and taking stock, stopping, pausing, asking yourself, what did I actually learn? Because I'll tell you one thing, from the moment that Suzanne passed away until this very moment, this past year, as basically when you have awareness, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's like a gift and a curse, right? And so this past year, I've been so conscious and aware that ever since Susanna passed away, it's like the universe has been testing a lot of this lessons that I was learning to make sure that they've stuck. And so for the past year, it's basically been in the universe as if the universe has, has been holding this M16 and firing at me going, let's see what lesson there. So I've had a roller coaster of a year. You know what I mean? And my life in the past year has practically gone, turned around 180 degrees. That's amazing. And I hope that anyone out there listening can latch on to that knowledge that some of the things that Mona has shared today have included being in a really dark, hard, hopeless feeling place. And that there there is a chance to turn everything around, no matter where you are right now listening to this and where you're sitting and how hard it feels. It's a le- there's a lesson there. So seek the lesson and and seek the evolution that's coming through that lesson. Because it could be absolutely transformative. Thank you so much, Mona, for giving me your time. I just appreciate you more than, and I am so grateful every time that I hear you speak, every time I hear you lead, every time that I get on a coaching call and you share these amazing bits of wisdom that you've picked up along the way. And so how can our listeners find you and reach out to you if they want to work with you or learn more or follow you? Well, I mean, the quickest place is obviously everybody's on Instagram, right? So my Instagram handle is at wholehealth underscore with underscore Mona, M-O-N-A, and the letter B for Bitar, my my surname. So wholehealth underscore with underscore Mona B. Alternately, they can find me on Facebook just with my name, Mona Bitar. And then if somebody wants to email me, it's Mona B at liftyourwholehealth.com. Awesome. Be sure to go over and follow Mona on Instagram or Facebook, wherever you hang out the most. Because again, I will reiterate that Mona's writing is magical 
and full of heartfelt, genuine, vulnerable wisdom and emotion that will touch your soul. So thank you again, Mona, for being everything that you are to me and to the people that you help. Rachel, thank you so much. And it's truly a privilege, a humble, a humbling privilege to have had a chance to spend this hour with you just chatting back and forth about things that we're both passionate about. Oh, yeah. I was so excited this whole week. Like, <laughs> to hang out with Mona and hear more about you because you're just so great. And please know any moments that come in the future of that, because we all experience hard moments. We're all struggling with something at any one time that you are so valuable to so many people. Thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate you deeply. Thank you. Have a great one and I'll see you soon, I'm sure. Thanks for listening to the Breath Pack podcast. For more information about how to become a part of the Breath Pack or to inquire about one-on-one breathwork coaching and optimizing your mental game with mental management systems, contact me at breathpack at gmail.com. That's breathpack spelled B-R-E-A-T-H-P-A-K at gmail.com. You can find me on social media at breathpack or at ultrafit lifestyle on Instagram and Facebook. It's my pleasure to support you on optimizing your human experience. So please don't hesitate to reach out to me today. And remember, you can make it through anything if you just breathe.